Warning. This episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. that did make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisniex. Listeners, as you might be able to tell from the slightly different introduction, we are doing something a little bit different here today uh, and welcoming back for the first time a repeat guest. Uh, Sarah Gailey is a multiple Hugo and Nebula and lots of other things award nominee and winner and all-around wonderful person. Sarah, welcome to the show again. Thank you so much for having me back. I can't believe that I get to come back here after all the chaos that I sowed last time. <laughs> I mean, you were on the first ever episode, so, like, your chaos was the, the, what's the word? The mold. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say perfect, but really I should apologize. <laughs> I am so happy to be back for this, uh, what sounds like a very special episode. It is going to be a very special episode uh, because you have a new book that's coming out in just a couple weeks. I sure do. Uh, the Echo Wife is going to be on shelves February 16th, which is approaching so quickly. It's so soon. <laughs> ah! We are uh, we are recording this still in January, but February 16th is going to be here before we know it. It is coming up so fast. Uh, it seems like it seems like every morning I wake up another day has passed and that can't be right. That seems wrong, but I mean time is fake, so who really knows? That's true. Time is fake. Life is an illusion. The Echo Wife is coming out so soon. So soon. And um if you're listening to this, you know, probably you'd like to read it, and you could get it anywhere books are sold, but especially from your local independent bookseller or from bookshop.org, which supports independent booksellers. We recommend uh, it. And you could, you could buy it and help me keep Tinkerbell in the good kibble. Yeah. We definitely want to have Tinkerbell eating the good kibble and not the plastic bags. She she also wants to be eating the good kibble and not the plastic bags, um, which this is a slight digression from anything this podcast is about, but I feel a need to share with your listeners that my elderly pit bull Tinkerbell decided today that her dinner time is at 3 p.m. instead of 5 p.m. I mean, who and, can blame uh, her? So earlier kibble, I think, is going to end up meaning more kibble in the long run. So that sounds it, good. Just just help us. Yeah. Listeners, please. Buy, buy Sarah Kibble 2021. And Perfect. beyond. Yeah. That's the mission statement. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Tales from the Trunk, <laughs> buying Sarah Gailey Kibble for 2021 <laughs> and beyond. Oh, wow. What a great podcast concept. I, it's so good. I mean, as with the original concept of Tales from the Trunk, I couldn't have done it without you. Oh, no way. I, You are an absolutely brilliant podcaster. You have good, smart ideas, and literally all I do is say... Yeah, go Hillary, go. And then you go. <laughs> I mean, to be perfectly honest, my concept for this podcast originally was something that I, a 
no-name podcaster could not have carried off, and you said, wait, but what about this other thing, so... <laughs> well, I'm, I am glad to have had any hand in this, because this podcast whips ass. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so, Sarah, are you going to be able to read us a little bit of The Echo Wife? I certainly am. Uh, and anything we need to know before we go into this? Yes, um, so the I'm not going to be reading from chapter one because I I want to drop your listeners in a little ways. So I will tell you what the book is about. Um, the Echo Wife is the story of Evelyn Caldwell, a brilliant scientist who pioneered the uh, technique of adult duplicative cloning, which means I have one Hillary in front of me and then I go science and then I have a second one in a test tube full of goop. <laughs> it's, it is the story of... Uh, the year following Evelyn's divorce from her husband, who she discovered was having an affair. And I won't say any more than that, because this, hopefully this chapter I'm going to read you will say it all. Excellent. This is a reading from chapter five. The tea shop Martine had chosen was cute. It was small with mismatched furniture and clumsy velvet couches and a hand-chalked menu behind the counter. Tea-filled jars lined the shelves behind the register. The place smelled like steam and wood polish. There was a bulletin board covered in handwritten flyers for babysitting, yoga classes, free furniture. It was almost exactly halfway between our houses. A bell over the door announced my entrance, bright and brassy. I tried not to look for her, but I failed. <laughs> and there she was. She was already seated, her hands around a steaming mug, her eyes on a book. She didn't look up, didn't notice me standing there, too engrossed in her reading. The air in the coffee shop seemed thin. My breath came too fast. I took my time at the coat rack, unwinding my scarf, shrugging out of my coat, watching the way Martine moved, watching her tuck a finger under the page she was reading for a few seconds before turning it, <laughs> watching her blow on her tea before taking a tentative sip. It was hypnotic. Martine moved in ways that I didn't, in ways that I had consciously, effortfully trained myself out of, tucking in my arms and legs, ways of making myself smaller, less obtrusive, delicate flutters that might imply indecision, little hesitations that would make my colleagues think they had permission to doubt me. Hmm. And then there were the similarities. I knew, without having to think about it, that I chewed my lip in that same way when I was reading a sentence that challenged my assumptions about something. I knew that I took the same care when settling a glass on a table. I knew that my chin drifted toward whatever I was paying attention to. When I went to the counter to order a tea, the server did a double take. <laughs> he kept glancing up at me as he took my order. Just when I thought I might scream, he shook his head and apologized. Sorry, he said. It's just... Are you here meeting someone? Yes. Her. I pointed to Martine's back, anticipating the follow-up question. Are you guys twins? The server asked, pouring <laughs> hot water into a mug to warm it. It's uncanny. Yes, twins. The lie was easy. Can you bring that to the table when it's ready? It'll just be another minute, he said, but I was already walking away, my skin jumping. Twins. Sure. It was stupid, stupider than anything in the world the way I'd caught Nathan. A cliche, I'd found the hair. My own hair is watery, the kind of blonde that doesn't catch the light, that vanishes at my temples and makes my forehead look Tudor high. My mother's hair. The level of coincidence that led to me finding the other hair was absurd. It was the kind of thing that couldn't have happened if I'd remembered just a minute earlier or a minute later. I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have had a clue. I'd been on the way out the door, headed to work, and I realized at the last moment that I needed a hair to demonstrate a sampling technique to some visiting grad students who would try to leave resumes on my desk. <laughs> 
I let the lab send me a batch of them a few times a year, a show of goodwill on my part. And there was a technique I could let them see without worrying that anyone would faint. The method I was going to demonstrate could make use of old, dead tissues, and a hair was perfect for the task, small, annoying to keep track of, difficult to manipulate. It was midsummer, and my hair was up, tucked away from my face and off my neck so it wouldn't stick to me in the humidity. But I spotted one of my loose strands on Nathan's coat as I was leaving the house, and I grabbed it, pleased not to have to go upstairs and harvest one for my hairbrush. I'd folded it into a receipt from my own pocket, a receipt for butter and Brussels sprouts and cotton swabs. When I demonstrated the sampling technique to the wide-eyed students, I noticed that something was wrong. My sequencing result showed the trademark Cyanide used to flag specimens, a goofy line of code that when translated spelled out, it's alive, <laughs> our little joke, our little signature. I wish I could say that I'd felt even a moment of knee-jerk denial, that any part of me had insisted it couldn't be so, but no, that would be a lie. I knew. I knew right away, like knowing the doctor has bad news to share. I remember the way my stomach dropped, the way heat flooded my throat. This is bad, I thought, and I wasn't wrong. I didn't try to pretend, I just verified. Once the students were gone, I sequenced the sample again. There was plenty of the hair left to use. I sequenced it three times, and the third time I showed it to Syed to check my own observation. He immediately spotted the signature line. I sat back in my chair and let out a long, slow breath. Well, this is awkward, Syed, I said, my voice shaking, but I don't think this is my hair. <laughs> what had followed? A private investigator, an envelope full of photographs of Nathan walking into a strange house. Late night spent scrolling through his text messages and emails looking for something, anything, a name, a reason. It was less crisp in my memory. It all blurred together into a frenzy of bitter anger and determination. What stayed sharp was the confrontation. The moment when I knocked on the door of the strange house. The moment when the other woman answered the door, and the observable data confirmed my hypothesis. The moment when I was faced with a mirror image of myself, wearing a strand of pearls and a blank welcoming smile. I sat down across from our team without saying hello first. I repeated never apologize over and over again in my head. Martine looked up smiled, closed her book without even marking the page. She tucked the book into her purse before I could see the title. Evelyn, I'm so glad you had time for me. I know you're terribly busy. I clenched a fist under the table. Terribly busy felt like code for too involved in work to save your marriage. But that wasn't what she meant. Of course, I was overreacting. But then it was Martine. Wasn't I entitled to overreact? I bit back everything I wanted to say. Of course, I replied. It's the least I could do. Martine rested her wrists on the edge of the table to hold her mug, not her elbows. Elbows would be rude, but wrists, those were fine. <laughs> I recognized the posture, and I sat up a little straighter. Felt my lips pursed with distaste. She didn't seem to notice, smiling up at the server as he delivered my drink. She thanked him for me. He looked between the two of us for a moment before leaving. <laughs> I took a sip of my drink. It was too hot. I took another sip, letting it scald my throat. I wanted to ask you some things, Martine said, then looked down into her mug. But first, I hope you'll forgive me if I just step away for a moment. I got here a bit early, and my tea has run right through me. <laughs> I was about to say that I didn't mind. I was thinking that of course I didn't mind, that Martine could get up and leave whenever she wanted, that Martine could take a running leap off a high bridge for all I cared. But before I had the chance to say anything, Martine pushed away from the table and stood, and the sight of her standing stole my breath from my throat. 
Martine gave me a small smile, then walked off to the restroom, one hand smoothing her blouse over her slightly rounded belly. I finally managed a soft O. So that's what she wanted to talk about. Oof. Now I know that that was only like seven minutes, but I think I'm going to stop there. <laughs> that is a fair place to stop. <laughs> like, okay, so we've, I didn't beta read this book as I have others of your books, but we have talked about this book, but Jesus fucking Christ, Sarah. <laughs> it is not as good as it would have been if you beta read it, but I think it's pretty all right. I am I am positive that it is spectacular. I mean, like I I know that it is harder for you to keep your chill about these things, but the number of people <laughs> talking this book up in like Entertainment Weekly and Cosmopolitan and like fucking mainstream places is like I just scream a little inside every time I see it. And... I will tell you secretly if you promise not to share with anybody that <laughs> It is, I also scream a little bit inside. I I cannot believe how exciting this all is and how supportive people are being about this book. I'm, I'm just really over the moon. It's, it's fantastic. And it's, uh, it's just like, I'm so deeply happy in a way that, you know, one of the weird things about being friends with other writers is like, they have successes and sometimes you have professional jealousy and sometimes you just have like professional awe and like just being over the moon and every step of the way for you i've just been like hell yeah sarah get it oh my gosh it that means so much to me um i mean you and i have known each other since like forever i think since the i think since before i started writing i th i think that I met you because of Blink. Or not Blink, yes. Eyes. Yes, uh, the, the, the scary eyeball story. The scary eyeball story. I also just forgot, oh my god, I forgot the name of it too. <laughs> it'll, be in the, it'll be in the show notes. It'll be okay. Uh, hey. <laughs> but I think that somebody, one of our mutuals on Twitter said something about like, hey, my friend has this story out, you should check it out. And I read it. And I got to the end and I was like, okay, I'm instantly following this person. <laughs> yeah, and that, that was, I mean, that was the first thing that I ever had published. Yeah. So, you know, definitely among your earliest fans and quickly a friend after that. Uh, I think that that was the year of Hamilton. And then... That was the, that was just before, that yeah. was just before Hamilton struck. Because then other Sarah immediately also became another writer friend and oh my gosh i mean I can't, I the can't rest is history how, i can't believe how long ago that was and also how recently it was yeah i mean Ugh. time, time is, is fake fucked up right now it's so <laughs> it is so fucked up it is thank you for I mean, supporting me this whole time of course it is a little bit less fucked up now than it was say two weeks ago Mm -hmm. But, you know, still pretty <laughs> bad, I would say. Still super weird. Uh, if if you will permit me to 
uh, allow the listeners behind the curtain a little bit, we had to reschedule this recording twice because of brains and then because the power and internet went out. Yeah, I time is especially weird for me right now because I have no internet. We're recording this um like over the phone and I like I I don't know how to tell time when I'm not online all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's really bizarre. And yesterday I had no power for a really extended amount of time. Ooh. And that also just really goofed up my ability to tell time. Yep. Yeah. I mean, like, at least now when the power is out and you don't have internet, it's not like you're going to miss the collapse of the Republic in real time. That's a relief. (laughs) I am doing a lot less obsessively checking on what's happening in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not, Not to get too political, although art is inherently political. We all know this. Uh, and your art especially is, uh, I think, heavily political and then also heavily murder-inflected. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. That's uh, two of my primary themes. Yep. Uh, and as we saw in all of your books last year and your debut novel the year before, Magic for Liars, which is sitting right next to me on the bookshelf. So, uh, you know, this wouldn't be a book promo event without having a few questions about the Echo Wife. Uh, And I'm not going to ask any of the usual questions. Okay. Because, you know, you have three book events coming up right around launch, I think. I do. I do. Um starting on February 16th and running through February 18th. I've got three great in-conversation events with partners I'm really excited about. Um, Toshi Onyebuchi, um, Grady Hendrix, and Gillian Flynn. And they are going to be excellent. I'm looking forward to them uh, once again. Links in the show notes. So what is your favorite part of this book that you had to cut? Oh, geez. Um... You know, I was fortunate enough in writing this one too. I it's a it's a quick read. It's a relatively short novel, and I drafted it even leaner than it came out. So fortunately, I didn't have to cut too too much out. Um, but gosh, I'm trying to remember the specifics of a scene that I wrote that really like dwelled heavily on the way corpses decompose. And I'm trying to think of how I can talk about it without giving away a big spoiler <laughs> from the plot. <laughs> I mean, that's extremely on brand, so I, yeah. I will take that answer. <laughs> I I had this scene that really, it was really detailed, and the premise of the scene relied on me kind of fudging a way that corpses decompose by being like, oh, you know, it went different this time for a science reason, <laughs> and my best beloved... Uh, wonderful editor Miriam Weinberg was like, I think you actually have to, I think you actually have to let science exist in this moment. (laughs) I mean, for a book that is based in some science, uh, I think that that's a a reasonable cut to make, you know. 
I think so too. It's this is something that I catch a little bit of heat for in all of my writing, and I'm sure I'll catch them for it here too. But the science is incredibly thin um, <laughs> because it's not it's not what interests me primarily. So most of my scientific research for this book, I I'm happy that you're not asking the usual questions. But one of the <laughs> usual questions about it is like, what kind of research did you do to make sure that you were getting the science accurate? And the reality is, I most of my research was to make sure that I wasn't referencing any existing science of cloning because the last thing I wanted was to try to get that right and then piss off scientists who actually know what they're talking about. That's quality. That's I did get to quality. Do, I got to do quite a lot of talking to laboratory scientists, not about science, but about lab dynamics because a lot of this book takes place in the lab. That's and, excellent. Uh, that research pretty much just involved me saying, hey, what do your coworkers do that annoys you? <laughs> and you would be shocked at how long of an answer you can get out of a lab scientist by asking that question. I believe it. I absolutely believe it. Um, so the other thing, which is probably more bog standard of an interview question that I would love to know is what is your absolute favorite part of this book you did get to leave in? Oh my goodness. My gosh. Without I mean, I having to give away anything. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I do, I do truly love this book. The whole thing so much top to tail. Um, I think my favorite part of it is the quiet domestic scenes between uh, Martine and Evelyn. This It's not mm. a spoiler because it's like, on the back cover to right. say that there's a murder in the book and the two women have to work together to deal with it. And they end up spending a lot of time together at home, kind of just learning to be around each other. Mm. And so many of those scenes are about learning to hold affection for the parts of yourself that you most want to reject. Um, Evelyn and Martine are very different and that's intentional. Martine was created to kind of fill every space where Evelyn's ex-husband found Evelyn uh, inadequate. Mm -hmm. And all of those inadequacies are things that Evelyn, on some level, feels she's chosen. You know, her her refusal to ever apologize, her unyielding nature, um, her kind of harsh demeanor are all things that she feels she does on purpose, you know, as much as any of us does anything on purpose. Mm -hmm. And when she spends time with Martine, she has to be in the company of someone who is everything she has tried her whole life not to be. And she has to learn how to exist alongside that. And I loved writing that so much. I wrote this book as I was learning to be by myself. Mm -hmm. For really the first time in my life, I had just gone through my own divorce from a man who's nothing like the man in the book. My <laughs> husband is a lovely man, but we, we went our separate ways. And for complicated reasons I won't go into, I had to move to a place where I didn't really know anybody. Mm -hmm. And I was almost completely alone in that city, learning how to be with myself even with all of the questions that I had about the person who I was and mm -hmm. how I might have been different and how my life might have been different if I wasn't the person I was. And I really got to pour that into those interactions between Evelyn and Martine in a way that I, I will say 
to you on this podcast <laughs> because this is a safe space and we're among friends. I feel really proud of. That's excellent. And I mean, what you're talking about with those uh, sort of domestic and quieter scenes is something, you know, I think a lot of it would be fair to say that a lot of people know you first and foremost as the author of those hippo books, which are very uh, bombastic and <laughs> murdery. To say the least. And more so in River of Teeth than in Taste of Marrow, not especially quiet or domestic. There are certainly <laughs> some some scenes of tenderness in Taste of Marrow, but the uh, one of the things that I've really come to admire in your writing is, and I say this as a fan and a friend, is the quiet moments in between. Uh, when I was reading the draft of Magic for Liars that I read, the spaces of reflection in that book really, I think, make it as special of a book as it is. And I'm really excited to read Echo Wife. Thank you so much. I mean, I I think that... Oh God, you're such a kick-ass interviewer. <laughs> there's, there's two things at play there. I mean, my, my novella brand and my adult novel-length brand... Uh, and my young adult novel length brand all have very different tones. My, mm -hmm. my young adult novels are hopeful and kind of fun and affectionate. And my I still have novellas... murder in them. Oh, of course. But you know, it's like, it's like fun murder. Yeah. Um, a, l a little less trauma. And my novella brand is very pulpy and action oriented. And my adult length novel brand is you know, a lot more meditative, um, mm -hmm. and sad, <laughs> but part of that evolution came about because of the way that my life changed over the course of the time I've been writing. Mm -hmm. I've, I've gone through so much self-discovery and a lot of hard shit has happened. And I've somehow settled into a life that is very domestic and happy and, loving and accepting mm -hmm. um, in a way that I never thought I would be able to have in my life. And I'm bringing so much of that into my books. Um, you know, the, the, the thing I'm writing right now, uh, the book I'm editing is an entirely domestic book. It's, it's in many ways, a love story between a, a person and their home. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I could have written that when I was the person who was drafting river of teeth. Mm -hmm. Not least because at that time I thought that I would never write a novel because I was too scared of that. <laughs> uh -huh. I mean, you wrote River of Teeth out of spite, and then you wrote Magic for Liars out of spite of your agent in both cases because he said, bet you won't. Um, well, in fairness, I wrote so I wrote Magic for Liars and When We Were Magic both out of spite. River of Teeth I wrote out of complete chaotic energy because it was <laughs> Lent and I had given up I think I'd given up sugar for Lent that year, and I was like, I was like looking for a rush. I was like, what's gonna get me through? <laughs> I I mean that makes sense. I remember there was a lot of chaos. Yeah, that was quite a time. 
Oh, well, uh, I don't want to run you out of time at this point. So uh, before we get going, Sarah, where can listeners find you and uh, anything other than Echo Wife that you want to plug right now? Yes. Um, so readers can find me on social media. My handle across social media platforms is Gailey Frey. That's G-A-I-L-E-Y-F-R-E-Y. Um, I'm mostly on Twitter, although I'm, I've been practicing my Instagrams. Um, <laughs> and I would also love for listeners to check out my Substack. I have free content and paid content. Right now I'm running a free series on world building um, and how world building is for everybody. It's not even just for writers. We all build worlds. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun throughout 2021. It's a very also, good series so far. I also have a paid tier where we have an incredible community of subscribers with a lot of mutual support and care. And we are doing a series of shared experiences throughout 2021 to help us find connection across distances. So if you're interested in that at all, you can check it out at sarahgailey.substack.com. I think it's a pretty good one. Um, Agreed. And it's one of my favorite places on the internet right now, so I'd love to see your listeners there. Excellent. Uh, well, listeners, you have your orders. Uh, I will also, <laughs> I will also recommend, uh, heartily recommend Sarah's Instagram as a place where they occasionally do just hilarious, amazing uh, Instagram live events. In the past couple of months, you've done several with Maggie Taduka Hall, who appeared with you right before the pandemic started on your oh, last book tour. <laughs> yes, um, and actually, Maggie took it to Hall, author of The Mermaid, the Witch, and the Sea. Fabulous book. Your listeners would love it and should check it out. Uh, she and I are actually planning a new Instagram Live series. I will not share details yet, but I will say that it's going to be so much fun, and we're planning on doing it for a while. So um, if you follow me or Maggie Takuda Hall at MT Hall on Instagram. Um, I think we're going to have a really, a really great time together. Yeah, don't miss out on these. Uh, you've so far done two different rounds of uh, Fuck Mary Kill with what was it, Monsters and Halloween Candy previously. Oh my gosh! Okay, so we've done we we do brackets. Um, for your listeners who don't know, we do brackets with like three sets of three fuck, Mary kill contestants. And then we determine who is the killest of the kill, the merriest of the merry and the fuckest of the fuck. And we've done, let's see, we've done Pixar dads. We've done fast oh, food right. mascots. Um, we've done Halloween candy. We did Halloween monsters. Um, I believe that we, oh, we didn't end up following through on the Christmas one because we were just too exhausted by the world. Yeah. But we, Mood. Yeah. And we also did a, we do some special fundraisers. And one of the fundraisers that we did was for um, the Georgia runoffs, which turned out great. And yeah. that included, uh, it was blue state themed. So we did blue state, uh, I believe we did blue state foods, blue state unofficial mascots and blue state attractions. And of course, Gritty was involved. Fantastic. We love to see it. Well, uh, listeners, Check all of those things out. The Instagram live events are always a good time. Sarah's Substack is amazing. 
the Echo Wife is going to just knock your socks off. I guarantee it, and I haven't even read it yet. Sarah, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, and thank you for doing this show. It's so phenomenal, and I'm, I'm so happy for you that it's so successful. Thank you so much. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Ryan Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbisniaks. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. <laughs>